name is Vicky. This is Donny and Jill. Um, some of you will have met Donny before. He's spoken here a couple of times, and it's great to have his wife Jill with us as well. So I thought I'd just ask them a couple of questions to help you get to know them, and then Donny is going to speak to us. So just to get the obvious thing out of the way first, Donny, could you tell everyone how long it took to grow your beard? <laughs> then we can concentrate for the rest of the morning. Um. So initially, I grew up for a couple of years, and it got down to about here, and then, yeah, I get it trimmed now every two weeks, so there's what? nothing living in it. <laughs> common questions looking at my boys, very clean, there's no food, animals, anything. People don't worry about birds, there's nothing. Brilliant. Now, now we can focus. Thank you. Uh, Jill, tell us about your family. We have two. <laughs> We have two wonderful sons. Our oldest son, Jedediah, is four, and our little boy, Wyatt, will be two in August. Thanks. And um, tell us a bit about your church, just very sure. snippet. Um, we planted a church called One Harbor in a little town called Moorhead City, um, North Carolina. If you guys know where North Carolina is, American kind of eastern seaboard right in the middle, kind of between New York and Florida. Um, and it's a town of about 9,000 people. Um, we started it uh, seven and a half years ago. It's where I grew up. Um, and then now we've got three locations. You guys have two locations, so you know what that's like. We've got three of those and um, kind of spread out over a little a region and, yeah, having fun. Seeing lots of people come to Jesus and, and good. Amazing. Great. And this week you've been in the UK for the Advanced Global Conference, which has been happening in Southampton. And so, Jill, could you just give us a couple of highlights from your week? Wow, it, it has been, for those of you that were able to join us um, yesterday and Friday, um, it, it's been an amazing week. I think just being able to be reminded of the bigness of our great God who we serve um, and that he loves the local church and what he's doing right here in Poole and what he's doing in our church in Moorhead City, um, but also be reminded of his heart for the nations and for the world and that we want to see his name be famous to the ends of the earth. So getting to do that with people from around the world this week, um, it just encourages and enlarges, I think, my faith personally, and um, we'll go back and it'll infiltrate our churches, as I hope it has for you guys who are able to join us. Amazing. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right. So it is so good to be with you guys, to be back with you guys. Um, we're loving this kind of growing partnership with our churches as be part of Advance, um, and just so you know, I mean, Matt Hosier, I think just the world of him, he has become a very dear friend to me over the last few years, and um, we just we just continually grow in respect for him and grace, and um, I sent a message to a, a bunch of the guys in Advance last night, and just said, I, I think that Matt has raised four of the most outstanding daughters I've ever seen in my life. It's just, just being in their home and seeing their parenting, so for you guys who, who maybe don't know them personally like that, um, just to let you know that, that man, like, there, there's integrity between what he does on a Sunday and what he does at home. I think that's a big deal. And so we just, we just love them to pieces. And um, we really love you guys and your church. And we're just so glad to hopefully get to encourage you a little bit. Does everyone understand my accent okay? <laughs> All right. I'm going to do my best. I can't talk British, but I'll, I'll, try, I'll try not to talk too redneck for you. So, um, Anyway, um, what I wanted to talk a little bit about this morning, and we're going to use a, a passage of scripture to do this, is, is what, it, what it means to believe in Jesus. Uh, where I come from in America, especially in the South, 
everyone believes in Jesus. You're like born, you know, everyone thinks you're just kind of born believing in Jesus. We take it for granted what it means to believe in Jesus because unlike your culture, where I'm from, everybody goes to church. And, and so what we're constantly finding is people go to church and they probably agree with certain things in their head that Christians agree with, but they don't necessarily believe in Jesus and, 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 and so uh, I want to talk today about what that really means and why, why people don't believe in Jesus. Many of your friends and your family probably um, don't believe in Jesus, you know, your coworkers, your neighbors, those in school with you. Maybe, maybe even some of you are here today and you're just kind of checking out Christianity. And, and, and if that's you, I just want to say you're so welcome in a church like this. Um, I, 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 know, I know the pastors in this church and I know many of the people in this church and this is a safe place if you're going, I want to know what it means to be a Christian. This is a really safe place to come figure that out. Um, and you can ask these guys any questions you want to ask them. So just for all of us, as we, as we think about that subject, believing in Jesus, and why don't people believe in Jesus, and what does it mean to believe in Jesus, that, that is just, that's nothing new. In Jesus' day, even when Jesus was, was doing ministry on the earth, in his earthly ministry, people didn't believe in him. Right, And so I, I, I wanted us to, to look at a passage today in John 12 um, that really, I think, helps us answer why. Why don't people believe? And, and, then, and then maybe some implications for all of us as we consider this. Um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 12, verse 37. This is um, the last words of Jesus' earthly ministry, if you will, before he withdraws to go and celebrate Passover with his disciples. Um, and, then, and then the next time the world sees him, he's going to be on the cross so pretty significant passage if you're kind of if you're tracking along with this, this story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. So John chapter 12, verse 37, um, I'm reading in the ESV, it says, Though he, Jesus, had done so many signs before him, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they should see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Um, there's, there's um, in case you're new to the Bible, um, it's not just like a book full of like happy little stories. It's a book with just rich emotion. And there's really sad, sad parts of the Bible. And this may be one of the saddest. Um, this is Jesus' end of his early ministry. And when you think about someone who's a really great person, who's a very servant-hearted person, who's done a lot of good things, as most people would agree Jesus was, you think about the end of their life, you imagine you know, just a big parade and a big celebration and a big party, and actually what we see is the, the very last moments of Jesus' earthly ministry are full of sorrow as Jesus grieved over the fact people don't believe in him. 
Um, and so why, why don't they believe in him? I think most of us um, modern people, we think that the reason someone doesn't believe in something is because they lack knowledge. They lack evidence, right? And so we just think if you have enough evidence, you'll, you'll automatically believe. That's just a very common thing for us to think, right? And maybe, um, maybe you're here and you've thought to yourself, if I could go back in time and I could see Jesus walk on water, if I could see him take the little boy's bread and fish and feed the, you know, the 5,000, if I could see Jesus raise Lazarus from the, if I could see this stuff, I'd believe. I've thought that. I've had moments of like weakness in my faith where I've thought, man, if I could just see it myself, I know I'd believe it, right? Um, maybe you've heard it before, you never thought it. Most of us have probably thought it, right? Um, but, but that's a very Western way to think. It's a very Western way to think that if we just had more evidence, we would definitely believe. And, and, and that's just confronted with this passage right away. What we see is they, they didn't believe, not because of lack of evidence. On the contrary, they had plenty of evidence, and they still refused to believe in Jesus, which we just need to just acknowledge that. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but it's just, it's a little shocking to our, our modern mind. Because we just assume, you know, if we could watch the right program on television, or we could just get some proof, or if we could just get some evidence, everyone would believe. And in the very opening words here in John chapter 12, verse 37, though he had done so many signs before him, they still did not believe in him. I mean, what else could he do? He's fed upwards of 20,000 people with one kid's lunch. He's walked on water. Most recently in this, in this, in this gospel account in John, he raised a man from the dead who'd been dead for four days. Now, some, some speculation is about why did Jesus wait four days? And, and a, lot of, a, lot, a lot of what history tells us is that some people thought that when someone died, their spirit hung around for three days, which means that maybe Jesus intentionally waited four days because he wanted there to be no doubts. that Because if it had been the first three days, somebody was, oh, the guy's spirit was still there. Four days, I mean, it's to the point where, where this guy, the, 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 the guy who's dead, his sister is begging Jesus, please don't disturb his body. There's going to be a horrible smell. I mean, that's how dead this guy was. And Jesus calls him out of, the, out of the grave. He comes out and he's alive, right? And they've just seen all this. And it says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe. So evidence is not the answer. It's not more evidence that we lack if we struggle to believe in Jesus, it's not more evidence that our friends and family lack, right? And I just want to say that because as Western modern people, we think if everyone just had more evidence, that's just not true. You can't get more evidence than these guys, right? So it's not lack of evidence for them. It's not lack of evidence for us or our friends or our family. So what really keeps them from believing and what really keeps so many of us from believing in Jesus today? I think we don't believe because we want a different kind of Savior. John, he, he says these guys have all the evidence, but they reject him. And to understand this, John begins to quote prophecy. He begins to quote from this book called Isaiah, which was written hundreds of years before, which, but, but, but describes Jesus so accurately that it's been called the fifth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah. Um, and so he begins to quote, he quotes Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He starts off by saying that the arm of the Lord is going to be revealed. But then he says he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire. And he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely 
He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Isaiah describes the arm of the Lord being revealed. Now, time out for those of you who've heard the story before. Imagine that we said to you, the arm of the Lord is going to be revealed. Let's all walk outside. We're going to see it. The arm of the Lord is going to be revealed. I know what you're probably thinking. Maybe it's just because I'm a big, bearded American, but this is what I'm thinking. Giant bicep from the sky, like just bulging muscles and veins and, and just, just, I mean, the most amazing arm you've ever seen. I wish I had like a bigger arm so I could like, you know, pop my shirt open and just, there it is. I mean, just imagine the biggest arm you've ever seen. It's the arm of the Lord is revealed. That's what we instantly think. And that's not what Isaiah describes. He says the arm of the Lord is going to be revealed. But he's going to be an individual who's weak, abused, despised, sorrowful, not triumphant, but beaten down. Isaiah is completely wrong. Who is going to believe that? Who's going to believe that's the arm of the Lord? That's not the arm. Come on, that's not the arm of the Lord. The arm of the Lord is revealed like that? Who's going to believe that? Um, think about it like this. Have you ever done something? You went out of your way to do something for someone. Like you meet, like maybe it's your, you're here and you, your wife and you get like the most amazing salad the world's ever seen. When you got all these fresh ingredients and everything, you put it all together, and your kids and your husband are like, oh, you know, we want mac and cheese or something like that. I, I, um, I know you guys like to fry fish here. Glory to God, that's like something we can identify with being where I'm from. Um, but I spear fish. I, I scuba dive on wrecks and there's sharks and there's it's just it's just awesome. Um, and I spearfish. And imagine you came to my house and I just went and, and speared a bunch of fish for you, risked my life, dove down into the ocean, got the fish, you know, fought the sharks, came back, cleaned the fish, brined it in buttermilk, hallelujah, and then, and then breaded it and then, and then fried it in peanut oil and then served it to you. And imagine you said to me, like, this is fine, but like, there's these frozen little fish dicks. Have you heard of that? <laughs> you have any of that, right? Is there any of that somewhere? Maybe? I mean, this is fine. Don't get me wrong, it's fine. Like, at that point, I'm, you're dead to me. Right? You're just dead. <laughs> I don't want to see you again if you're in heaven and just turning like the corner. I don't want to see you, right? Because I went out of my way to, like, love you. I went out of my way to show that I wanted to bless you. And what did you say? I want frozen fish dicks, right? Listen to this, John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the arm of the Lord revealed to us. What we find is that they didn't want a man of sorrows. They wanted a man of strength. That's us too. I mean, they probably did the math of the king, of the arm of the Lord, of the Messiah is lowly, majestic, unattractive, humble. Well, that means, that means we probably have to be humble too. And they didn't want that, and we don't want that, right? We want a different kind of Savior. We don't want a Savior that dies for our sins. We want a Savior that makes us rich, makes us powerful, makes us loved in this world. If that's the kind of king that you want, one who makes you rich, for example, you know, makes you rich really quick, takes all your little problems away. If that's the kind of king you're looking for, you can read the Bible to, to, until you're blue in the face. You can read it backwards, forwards, up, down, and, and you are going to end up being very frustrated with Jesus. Because what you'll find again and again and again is Jesus saying things like, that money won't satisfy you. 
You, you can have the whole world, you can lose your soul. You could, you could, you could end up with, with, with having so much stuff that you have to build barns and more barns and more barns to house all your stuff, and you're going to lose it all. And actually, it would be better for you to give that all away. It would be better for you. It's, it's actually more blessed for you to give than to receive. And you're going to hear him say stuff like that, and you're going to think, this, 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 you're an idiot king, Jesus. You're an idiot of a king. That's, that's not true. I know what made me happy more stuff. Or if it's like, man, I, I think powerful. That's the, I want a king that's going to make me powerful. You're going to read Jesus, and he's going to say things like love your enemies. He's going to say things like turn to cheek. He's going to say things like forget stepping on stuff. He's going to say all these things, and you say, you're an idiot of a king. And you can go to church and play all the games and, and, and answer all the right questions in your head, but your heart, your heart says, that's not what I want. I want, so I want, a, king that's, I want a king that makes sense to me. I want a king that makes me rich, that makes me powerful. That's what unbelief is. It's looking at the saving glory of God. It's looking at the arm of God revealed and saying, no thanks. John continues and says in verse 39 through 41, a pretty troubling thing. He says, therefore, they could not believe. And quotes Isaiah again. He's blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they should see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. John's quoting Isaiah saying that Jesus wasn't the kind of savior these guys wanted. And they became blind, they became hard in their hearts. They didn't believe. Jesus didn't fit their view of glory, and they couldn't believe. Their hearts are hardened. And, and all I want to say on this is that it's good for us to know that rejecting Jesus makes our hearts hard. This is a passage quoted from Isaiah 6. It's quoted in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's important, it's controversial, it's confusing, it's all those things. And the reason is it's not it's because it doesn't say that they decided to harden their hearts. They didn't, they didn't reject Jesus and go, now I'm going to make my heart hard. Hard, you know? It says God hardened their hearts. They didn't blind themselves. It said God blinded their eyes. And so it sends us off on these tangents of, well, did God harden or did they harden? What, who's at fault? What's going on? All this stuff. And I want to say to you, I think that we're not, one, we're not going to solve that this morning. But what I want to show you is that the, I don't think John's trying to solve it either. I think he's presenting for us attention where there's this, there's this thing called God's sovereignty, right? God being Lord, God being in control. And there's a thing called man's responsibility. And what we see is both of these things, that both of these things are at play. They're both there, right? There's this longing of God to, to, for people to turn and to be healed and to repent, that they can be saved. And there's this, there's this sense in which man is rejecting God and, and God's hardening his heart and blinding his eyes. God's sovereign over it and they're responsible for it. It's just this is my intention that's going on here now, I'm not trying to solve that tension for you today. What I'm trying to present to you is that it's there. And what it leaves us knowing is that as a not believing in Jesus doesn't have a neutral effect on our heart. It makes our heart hard. Not believing in Jesus doesn't have a neutral effect on our heart. It makes our heart hard. It has a hardening effect on us. Jesus is just not someone you put on hold. Right? Kind of rejected now. Do life without him now. Maybe slide back and come to him, to him later, you know. You think to yourself, maybe you're, maybe you're here and I, I don't know all the school grades and stuff, but you're in school still. You haven't gone off to university yet. And you're thinking, I'm about to go to university. And, you know, Jesus, I'd love to serve my life to you and whatever all these people say I should do. And I'd love to believe in you and all that. But I'm going to be at university and let's just be honest. Let's just be honest, Jesus, me and you. I'm going to need to do a lot of sin. Everybody's going to be having fun. I don't want anyone not having fun. I ain't trying to get made fun of. So you know, let's just, let's just, I'll tell you what, when we get done with this university thing, me and you, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get together. We'll make this happen, right? 
push pause on him, come back a few years later, he's done with university. Jesus, all right, I need to believe in you, I understand that, but um, I gotta get my career going. And it's ruthless out there, it's hard to get a job these days. I tell you, I'm gonna have to do, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to bite and kick and elbow and, and lie and cheat and steal and throw people off the ladder and I've got to shove a whole bunch of people down so I can get up to the top. And you know that really, I've got to set myself up for success. And I don't want you kind of, you know, you know, just looking over my shoulder all the time trying to tell me I can't do this and tell me I can't do this and tell me I should be nice to everybody and serve everybody and turn the other cheek and love everybody. I, don't, I can't handle that for the next few years. I've got to get my career going and then we'll talk about it. And so on it goes and so on it goes and so on it goes. It's just not like that with Jesus. Your heart doesn't stay neutral. It gets hard. He's not someone that you just put on hold. Your heart grows cold over time. The gospel either humbles us or it makes us hard. It doesn't leave us neutral. We were down at the uh, waterfront here last night, and it reminded me of the waterfront back home where I live. Um, where I live, the waterfront, it smells like fish. And people from out of town, they come in, like, oh, it smells like fish. And as local people, we have a saying. We say, it doesn't smell like fish, it smells like money. Right? Because where we are, the fish is our economy. So that stinky smell, I grew up, like, there's a book about our town um, from a long time ago, about our, like, our, the history of our town. On the front cover is my mom as a little girl and my granddad. Like, I'm as local as it gets. I have, like, our state flag and our county seal tattooed on my arm. So, um, so the, 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 this, this has been ingrained in me my whole life. Even as a little kid, I say, ooh, what's that smell? My mom would say, it's money. And so I just instinctively, I've come to know that fish smells like money, you know? But the smell of fish, let's just be honest, isn't a neutral smell. You don't go like, oh, I wonder what that smell is. Is it like vanilla, lavender? No, it's fish, right? It's like this, it's, it's offensive. And to some people it smells like money, and to some people it smells terrible, right? And, and, and the Bible says that Jesus like that, is like that. He, he smells a certain way. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15 and 16 we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We smell like something among people. We smell like Christ. And to one, it's the fragrance of death to death. That's, that's a horrible smell. And to the other, it's the fragrance from life to life. Who's sufficient for, such a, for, for these things? Jesus either smells like life or he smells like death. So, unbelief is to reject Jesus' impressed that were unnecessary and it's, our hearts grow hard resistance to him. It's a terrifying thing. But why? Why don't we believe in Jesus? Why is it that we want a different kind of Savior? Maybe you're still going, but why? But why? But why? Right? I think we get the answer in John 12, verse 42 and 43. Many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I think when it comes down to it, it's not a lack of evidence that keeps us from believing. We don't believe. Our friends don't believe. Our family members don't believe. People at school don't believe. Ultimately, because we love the wrong things. John says they have a kind of belief. They see the miracles. They hear the teaching. They go, well, A plus B must equal C. This must be the Messiah. But that kind of belief they have, it stays in their head. It never gets to their heart. Because they won't confess it. Ladies in the room, I've used a lot of spearfishing analogies. Maybe I left you out along the way. Let me give you one. I think that'll make sense. Say you and a guy go on the first date and he says, look, I tell you what, A plus B looks like it's an equal C. I think you're the one. I really do. I think this is it. I think this is it. But I, 
I've got to be honest, I don't necessarily want to let that word get out there because, um, you know, you just don't know. I mean, what if people think, think bad of me because I'm with you? What if people look down on me? What if, what if some other girl somewhere about, well, maybe she's better, maybe there's a better girl somewhere. I just don't want word getting out that me and you are like a thing. Like, I, can, we, can we just be together and just nobody know? Now, most ladies, I would hope all of you ladies in the room would be saying, this is just not going to end like you think it's going to end, right? I mean, you're about to get stabbed in the throat. Like, this is, this is, not, this is not how things should go. And if ladies are here, you're going, I would be in for that deal. We would love to pray for you at the end, right? You, you need to just, just get some, like, get your head and your heart around your identity and dignity, and we'll, we'll take care of whoever that guy is later. Um, but the thing is, you would, you would recognize that something's wrong here. And, and John's presenting a picture, and something's wrong. You believe in Jesus, but they won't confess it. John says something, I think, incredibly frightening. Not just for those out in the world, for those inside a church on a Sunday morning. Very frightening. He, he says, unbelief can look like this. Agreeing with all the right information, but having totally disordered affections. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 5, 15, 8. He says, it can, it can look like this. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So, where I'm from, where everybody goes to church, many people who call themselves Christians have minds that believe the right things and hearts that love the wrong things. The question at the heart of unbelief is, what do you love? Not what evidence do you have, it's what do you love? What's most important? What you love is what's most important about you. It defines everything about you. It defines the whole trajectory of your life. What you set your heart on is the most important thing about you and I. And if you don't know what you love, you don't, you don't really understand your life. When you begin to understand what you love, you're going to look over your shoulder and go, well, that makes total sense. That's why I did this. That's why, that's why I didn't do this. That's why I did this. That's why I didn't do this. Because what you love is what, is what it defines how you live. It defines your life. And what we see here is that these religious leaders, they love what the, the glory that came from man more than the glory that came from God. What, what people thought about them mattered more than what God thought about them. And, and the Bible tells us that those are two very polarizing parties, that you can't reconcile those two things. You can't live for what, for what man thinks about you and live for what God thinks about you. Those two don't get along. In Galatians 1.10, Paul says it like this. He says, um, am I now trying, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? He's, he's polarizing these two parties. He's, he's saying this, this, is a, this, is, this is dichotomized. These are two different things here. You can either try to look for man's approval or either try to look for God's approval. And then he says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ Jesus. If I was over here in the I'm trying to please man camp, I wouldn't be over here in the I'm serving Christ camp. They're two, they're two polarizing parties, Right? Loving the glory of man is living your life for all the things that, that man thinks is glorious with no thought to what God thinks is glorious. Let me just spell it out for you. It looks like this. You, you, how do you answer this question? If I don't have blank, people are going to think I'm nothing. If I have blank, well, people are going to think I'm something. Let's pick on kids because it's easy, right? Uh, as little kids, it's a toy, a stupid toy, a worthless, stupid toy that's going to break like that. Parents, we know that. Those are her parents in the room. I have to have this toy. Why? Because everyone else has it. Now you don't have to have it. 
It's junk. No, I have to have it. Why? Well, if I don't have it, all the kids are going to make fun of me. I'm going to be nothing. You don't have to have it. The kids are mine. No, you, you can try. You're, you're, all you want is parents to say, you're made in Christ's image, and all you can do everything you want, but like the kid just goes, everyone thinks I'm nothing because I don't have this toy, right? If I had this toy, it would be something. I don't have it, I'm nothing. It, it, it just evolves over time. You know, um, at one point, for, for kids, it becomes a relationship. And God, we're not there yet, where they're a four and two-year-old, but it'll be there in no time. Where, you know what, if I had a relationship like all the other kids at school, I'd be something. I don't have a relationship, therefore I'm nothing. I go through this just... Just this evolution of, of trying to fill their heart with something. Like, I, I have to have this. Or maybe it's a car. And when I was, when I was in school, this will date myself, it was a cell phone. Um, I, I was a senior in high school, and I was like, if I don't have a cell phone, I'm nothing. Right? And so I got a cell phone. Now, my cell phone, um, I had 45 minutes a month that I could use to talk to people. 45 minutes a month. And I felt like a rapper. Like, I felt like somebody on like MTV. Now, when people call me, I, I had to, it was like, I cut it out. I get up. I cut it out. Like, that's all, that's, like, that's like the length of conversations I could have for people. Because every time someone called you, it automatically counted as a minute, right? If you're young here, you're like, this is my book. This is like, this is like a history lesson for you. But I felt like I wanted everyone to see my phone. Like, I, I had a little clip. This is so, so lame when I describe it now thinking about it. I, I had a little clip that I clipped my phone up so that every time somebody got in my car, they'd oh my gosh, you have a cell phone? But yeah, that cell phone, 45 minutes a month, 45, you know? Um, I, felt, I felt so good because I had something, and people thought I was something, I was nothing anymore. You know what? It's, it's funny to like laugh at kids and stuff, but adults, you don't outgrow this. You just get better at hiding, don't we? Still got, we got, we got that something. If I only had that something, everybody would think I was something. I don't have it, so everybody thinks I'm nothing. It's living for the glory of man, not the glory that comes from God. I spent some time recently with some um, men who were considering being pastors one day, and we spent time at the very end of three days camping together, confessing what that something was, why we would want to be in ministry. All of this, we, we know the right answers, because of the gospel, because of Jesus, because of grace, because of, we know all those things, but at the end of the day, there's, there's also, there's a shadow that's in our heart. There's another thing going on in there. And to act to ignore it, to deny it, is foolish. But to put forward and say, actually, I feel like if I was in ministry, if I was an elder, if I planted a church, I'd be something. One guy said, I think God would like owe me because I would be like one of his. You know, I, I, I'm giving my life for this. He'd have to answer my prayers. The guy after God just confessed the shadow in their heart while they want to be in ministry. All of us have that. And to deny it is foolish. It's there. It creeps in our heart all the time. It's, it's wanting the glory that comes from man, not the glory that comes from God. When you can identify what this is, you can see what your life is really all about. And loving the wrong things, giving into those things. If I begin to love, if I begin to love the shadow part of my heart when it comes to ministry, it's going to set me off on a terrible, terrible trajectory. Won't it? Won't it destroy me? Won't it destroy my marriage? Won't it destroy our church? If you, if you get into it, won't it destroy you? It'll make you blind just like these guys. They looked at Jesus, he walked on water, he raised the dead, and he said, we, we like what these guys think about us more. So we reject Jesus because we're unimpressed by him, and our hearts go hard. 
We love lesser things. Thank God that's not how this passage ends. Jesus gives his last public words before withdrawing to be with his disciples for Passover. The next time, as I said, the, the world sees him, he's going to be hanging on the cross. And so we got to listen in here. What does Jesus say? Does he say what we would say? Hey, I did all these miracles. You guys don't believe in me. Well, forget you guys. You're all going to burn in hell. You'll be sorry. I think that's how many Christians act. We're so frustrated that people don't believe. And so we, we say things like that. We act like that. We say, we may not say it out loud, but we say it in our homes. One day these guys are all going to be sorry. What does Jesus say? In, the, in, the, in, the, in response to just unbelievable unbelief. In John 12, 44, Jesus cried out with him and said, whoever believes in me. Jesus pleads with us to believe in him. In the face of our unbelief, in the face of us not believing in him because we want a different kind of Savior, because we love lesser things, Jesus cries out and pleads with us to believe in him. That word cries out, it's missed on us. What the word really means, it's a term for a raven's piercing call or a cock. It's like it's 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 like this, like in the forest, when if you've ever been in the forest and heard a raven, like everything goes silent. It's this screech. It's a loud, urgent scream or shriek. It's to use inarticulate shouts that express deep emotion. And so what we see here is Jesus saying, well, he cries out, like he screams out. His voice would have been breaking because he would have been shrieking so loud. He screams, believe in me. He tells us, calls us to consider three reasons why. The first reason he calls us to believe in him is because of his identity. Twice he says, if you believe in me, you're not just getting me. You don't just get me, you get God. You get the one who sent me, right? You've seen me, you've seen him. And so if you're here and you're considering being a Christian, what you need to know is that believing in Jesus is not like believing in one religious leader versus another religious leader. Well, this religious leader is great. This religious leader is great. Let's just pick our favorite religious leader. Let's pick them all. No, believing in Jesus is believing in God. And missing Jesus is missing God. And so the way to God is Jesus. And if you've seen Jesus, you see God. Like Jesus is saying, well, we're, believe in me because I'm God. You're not just believing in me. You're not just believing in a religious teacher, a good teacher, a good guy. You're believing, you're believing in God himself. Don't miss God, right? That's the first reason he calls us to believe in him. And he gets right into the second one. He calls us to believe in him because of his salvation. His, he said, I'm not just God your creator. I'm the creator crying out to you. I'm the one who created the garden and then watched you tear the world apart with sin. I've watched the whole thing. And I've, I've come for you. He says that, 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 that I've come to, to bring light into the darkness because a life without God is a light in darkness. And so Jesus comes to glorify himself, not just a good teacher or a nice guy. He comes to bring light into darkness. John 4, 12, 46, and 47. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. He says, I'm, you're in darkness. And I know that you've probably met some Christians or you might have been the Christians who went around just liking to point out how everyone was in darkness? Oh, you guys are all in darkness. You guys are all, or, or you've heard that yourself if you're here and you're not yet a Christian or a new Christian, right? Jesus doesn't just point out that we're in darkness. He says, I, I, I'm showing you this. I'm shining my light in the darkness so that you'll believe. I want to call you out of darkness into light. I want to make things clear. I want to make who God is clear. Make the way to God clear. Make the meaning of your life clear. I want, I want to help you. He isn't just God. He's the God who came down for you. He isn't just the all-powerful God who created the world. He's the God who came down into the world. He died for the world. He doesn't just plead with you and I to believe in him. 
because he made us, he pleads with you and I to believe in him because he hung on a cross for us. And he ends his plea with a very sober moment. He doesn't just call us to believe because he's God and because of his salvation. He says one more thing. A lot of times this gets left out. He calls us to believe because of the consequences of rejecting him. In John 12, 48, the one who receives me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him the last day. She said, I didn't come to judge. I came to save my enemies. But we're held accountable for what he said. We're held accountable to those words of love. N.T. Wright says it like this. When Jesus speaks these words of love, the words of God, the words that will heal the world, people who reject these words will find themselves confronted in the end by those words they've heard, the words they cannot pretend they didn't hear. So to reject Jesus is to reject God. To reject Jesus is to reject God's only Son who was sent to save, to, to live and to die and be raised again in our place, to reject the arm of the Lord who didn't come as a giant bicep in the sky, but who came as a man of sorrows, despised and rejected, spit on, humiliated, murdered in our place. So as we consider how to respond, let me just give you a couple of things, and I'll pray. Maybe you're here today and you're already believing in Jesus. Just take a couple of things. I'm sure you, like me, have many friends and family who don't believe in Jesus. What I, what I hope this does for you is help you see that ultimately it's because they love something else. That's how we're all born, by the way. We're all born loving something else. Something far less, but something else. It takes a miracle to believe otherwise, which means you and I, if we believe in Jesus, we don't believe in Jesus because we're smarter or because we're better. We believe in Jesus because a miracle happened in our heart. And guys, that's what's got to happen to your friends and your family. I think it makes us patient. I think what it calls us, what it causes us to do for those, for those around us who don't yet know Jesus, it causes us to talk about how much better Jesus is than anything else. I have a very good friend who um, was experiencing some post-traumatic stress syndrome and was just a vehement racist because of war and what had happened to him. And uh, he, he was unsaved. He was invited to a church. And the first thing he went to was a small group, a community group. He thought, I'm going to show these Christians they don't really believe what they mean. And so people said, how are you doing today, John? And he just began to spew his racist, how he wanted to kill everyone, this race and that race. He just began to dump all this out. And this little, poor little community group, you know, it was just nice people who weren't ready for this. I was very sober and was very quiet. And um, the community group leader said, you know, John, like, none of us, none of us understand what you've gone through. All we can tell you is Jesus is better. He's better than that hatred in your heart. And then next week, John came back and he did it again. And they said, you know, John, we don't know what you've gone through. We know Jesus is better. Next week, John, Jesus is better. And finally, he just broke in on him. Jesus is better. So you're not smarter, I'm not smarter, we're not better. Jesus is better. And then I think also for us as Christians, I think, you know, it makes me think, in the face of a lot of people not believing in Jesus who should have believed in Jesus, how do we respond versus how does Jesus respond? We're very quick to get cynical and to just write people off and throw arms and say, well, let them all go to hell if they want to. And Jesus screams out like a wild animal, calling people to believe in him, knowing that just in a few days they would murder him. 
I just wonder why so many of us are so quiet about Jesus. I think this is a real strong encouragement for us to not give up on people, to be vocal about who Jesus is and what they believe in and how he's changed our lives. And finally, maybe you're here today and you, you don't yet believe in Jesus. You're just checking out Christianity. Again, so glad you're here. No one's going to like try to you know, embarrass you right now or anything like that. But just a couple of things I think worth saying. You might be here thinking, gosh, that's, that's what happened. My heart's so hard. It's too hard. Can't believe in Jesus. And here's what I'll say to you. Every heart that's ever believed in Jesus was too hard. The Bible says that God comes and he softens our hearts. They're like stone. They reject him. They love other things. They, they want something else. And then he just begins to just soften them. If you're here and you're just checking out Christianity and looking at what it would mean to be a Christian, I, I, I bet that some of that's already started to happen in your heart. It's just like this. Something's just getting softer. I want to just call you to consider believing in Jesus. I want you to know that what will happen if, if Jesus is calling you to believe in him is you're going to feel this real tug of war in your heart. Like when we talk about you loving other things, it sounds hypothetical, but then when you begin to consider like moving all your love across and like loving Jesus and believing in Jesus, you'll feel all those other loves in your heart rise up and they'll say, don't leave us. You need us. We're good to you. We're good for you. They'll just be pleading, don't, no, don't, don't leave us up. I promise the next time it'll be better. Next time, you need our stuff. You need, you need power. You need acceptance. You need all those things. The Bible says those are things that the, the Bible calls them vain idols, which just means that they're not God. They pretend to be, but they're not. And they can't, they cannot save. Isaiah says in this prophecy that the one, the strong arm of the Lord who came, who was revealed, was despised and rejected for our sins. Whipped, crushed, beaten to bring us peace. I just want to just, if you're here and you're considering being a Christian, I just want you to know, you're not coming to one who says, be perfect and I'll love you. You're coming to one who says, I'm perfect and I love you. I know you're not perfect, but I, I, I was perfect in your place. And it would be such a great privilege for us today to get to pray for you, talk a little bit more about what it means to believe in Jesus. Let me, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word, which is alive and active, which means that we don't read it like a history lesson. We open it and we, we expect it to be spoken to. We expect it to be challenged. We expect it to be comforted. We expect it to be changed. And God, we trust that it's all happened today. And I just pray, that Jesus, you would, you would you would shape our hearts around your word. You cause us to respond today because of your word, which is true. Cause us to assess where do we what do we really believe? Do we maybe we just intellectually agree with you in our heads, but our hearts are far from you? How would you draw us close to you today? Maybe some of us thought we were Christians, but actually we, we hear what it means to believe and we realize that it never actually was us. Maybe some of us have gotten frustrated and written off friends and family and we need today to be reminded of your attitude even at the very end of screaming out like a wild animal, voice breaking, I'm sure it was humiliating for people to believe in you and in face of all their unbelief, you still wanted them to believe. Make us more like you, Jesus. And we pray. Amen. Amen.